just wanna fight for a cause If I get to know my purpose, I don't know if I'll like it or not God, I know that you're the answer when I'm searching my mind, I forgot When I'm walking through the fire, I just look toward the light when it's hot Yeah, you say your plans for me, turn my mess to a melody You got good plans for me I know what my stance will be, I got strength as you stand for me Yeah, you got good plans for me Life Church. All right, good response. Not bad for an 11 o'clock crowd. I appreciate you. You're doing great. As Pastor Rich mentioned, my name is Lauren, and if you're new to Life Church Buffalo, uh, welcome. It's a great pleasure to have you here with us, and I get to, cheer, to serve on staff as the Executive Pastor of Operations. Um, since there are a number of new people here, I was going to run through a real quick uh, introduction about who I am a little bit. Uh, first of all, I'm not a native to Western New York and Buffalo. I actually grew up in northern Maine uh, on a potato farm, family-run potato farm that uh, I enjoyed very much. That kind of work, driving tractors, what doesn't, you know, what can you not enjoy about that? And trucks and uh, tearing up the ground, and, but just working alongside my mom, my dad, my brother, my grandfather, the whole family. It was great. Uh, but from there, I went to Bible school in Louisiana where not only did I get a Bible degree, but also a radio and television communications degree. So for a number of years, a lot of my career was spent in Christian television primarily, but I've done MTV to Jimmy Swaggart. So, you know, that's quite a range. Um, but, you know, more importantly than any of that is my God who saved me and brought me to this place I mean, that's, that's my pride and joy, you know, my father, who has made it possible for me to be in relationship with him. And right below that is my 32 years of marriage to Janie. So I'm grateful to be her husband, the father of three wonderful daughters, and uh, two great son-in-laws, and a couple of grandchildren. So man, I look out here, you have accepted me into Buffalo over the last 20 years. I'm a blessed man, you know, this community of people and my family, I just feel blessed. So thank you for being here today. And uh, as Pastor Rich mentioned, we are in the middle of a series that's called Bury Your Ordinary. And this is week number six. Now the first week, Pastor Pete launched it off by helping us to recover our passion for Christ. In weeks number two, three, and four, uh, we centered on how do we center, how do we develop habits that will help us to center on Christ. And then last week, Pastor Pete started the first of the two guardrail habits that we're talking about. Uh, last week was the guardrail of righteousness and living free from sexual brokenness. So all of you who, who weren't here last week and you're like, man, I missed the preaching about sex, well, look, you can go to our, our website, you can go to our uh, our app, Life Church Buffalo app, and uh, any of those sermons that you didn't hear, I want to encourage you, please go and take a listen. So today, we are looking at the second of our guardrail habits. Now, a guardrail is set in place to keep us from going too far, left or right, right, to keep us from going off track. Today, we're going to start with, uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we're going to read the first nine verses, so if you've got your physical Bible with you, go ahead and dig that out and start going to 2 Corinthians. I don't see many people moving. Nope. Because we all go to our electronic devices now, and if we didn't bring that, well, we're going to have the scriptures up on the screen for you anyway. So are we, everybody ready? Are we good? Verse number one. 
We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that was given to the churches of Macedonia. During a severe trial brought about by affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. I can testify that according to their ability and even beyond their ability, of their own accord, they begged us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints, and not just as we had hoped for. Instead, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us by God's will. So we urged Titus that just as he had begun, so he should also complete among you this act of grace. Now as you excel in everything, in faith, speech, knowledge, and in all diligence, and in your love for us, excel also in this act of grace. I'm not saying this is a command. Rather, by means of the diligence of others, I'm testing the genuineness of your love. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. So if you're jotting down some notes, or if you want to know what the title of today's message is, it's Resources, A Lifestyle of Generosity. And we're focusing on living generously. And that only happens through the transformation of our hearts. As it, is, as it relates to the promise of this rich life that, that Christ has promised us, I want to ask you, are you rich? Are you rich? Would you consider yourself rich? And the way that you, you answer that is greatly determined by your definition of rich. You know, many of us are familiar with the names of the titans of industry that started their wealth in the 1800s. Names like Carnegie and Rockefeller, Vanderbilt, all making their their fortunes on the steel and oil and railroad industries of the early 1800s. Today, we'd be more familiar with, with names like Bezos and Musk and Gates and Buffett. There are, there are various levels of wealth, right? Maybe when I, I talked about rich people, you, you started to think of other people. Somebody like an athlete or the owner of a professional team, maybe actors and musicians, anyone that, that Robin Leach might have interviewed on Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. And we look at those people that have all this money, and sometimes I think we very easily put, we slap the label of greedy on these people. It's probably no, in, due in no small part to our own envy. You know, we, we just look at them and we wonder, is their contribution to society really, does it justify the amount of money that they make. So we're really showing our own jealousy, but we, we call them greedy. And it's interesting that in our culture, we think of big business and, and the super wealthy as saying, like, yeah, they must be greedy. But, but does wealth really equate to greed? I want to ask you an honest question. I don't want anybody to say anything. Don't poke anybody. Don't raise your hand. But do you deal with greed? I think it's a question that most of us, we, we don't really consider. We don't really ask ourselves. It's interesting to me. I've been in the church for about as long as I can remember. And um, I've been a part of a good number of small groups, a lot of accountability with, with other men. As a pastor, I've been in counseling the last 12 years. <laughs> I've been in counseling, but I've been in counseling sessions also. <laughs> You'll get it. But... But in all that time, you know, we've walked through some very difficult topics. We have people who have confessed, 
you know, to having adultery, to being addicted to drugs and alcohol, to being angry, to being unforgiving, any number of things. But I, I don't remember the first, the, it, that there was any one time where somebody came to me or that I actually went to them and said, you know, would you pray with me? I'm struggling with greed. What is greed? Greed is the unrelenting desire for what? Fill in the blank. The, the unrelenting desire for more of something. It can be more money for sure. It might also be more power, more prestige, more toys, more comfort. I want more flexibility. I want more, more control in my life. And in general, we're talking about resources. We're talking about money. And I know that can make you uncomfortable, especially, man, if you're a visitor today for the first time, we're talking about money. I'm sorry. Like, did we just fill that scenario for you, like that uh, stereotype for you or what? But the truth is that it's more than, the generosity is more than just about money. But I understand why people are hesitant for, whether it's in church or any place, to talk about money. It's very personal. It hits a, a very personal place in our lives. And, but I think that many of us do obsess about money if we're honest. We worry about money. We think about money. Sometimes we neglect our family because of our job that is the source of our provision to get money. So money has become, money has become the source that we look to. It's become a place of safety for us. It's become a, a, a place where we can get a sense of, of status. So how does money create this sense of status, this self-image that we have? I mean, the things that we buy, they communicate where we are in our life. If you buy some designer boots and you're wearing them around town and somebody notices and they know that, that you understand fashion. If you get the keys to your brand new home, well, that speaks to some achievement in your life. And maybe you just like to drive your brand new SUV to, to work and it gives you some greater significance or importance. But it's all in our minds. It's all that self-dialogue that we have. I was thinking about what are some good examples of status that I've had in my life. And I have to say, vehicles have probably been one that I could very easily communicate to you. Like, so my very first car that I bought, um, my first car was a 1969 Corvair. Looked like just this, just like this one right here. And the status of that is I am a driver. I have my license. That was my status. I was excited about that. I'm independent. This is my first real taste of independence. Well, if you don't consider this, this was my first real independence. It's a yellow John Deere bicycle. <laughs> Back in the 70s, the banana seat was all the rage for those chrome fenders and everything. I could hear the call of the open road, right? <laughs> and you hear the song in the background? Born to be wild. All right. So my second, my second car that I bought was uh, about a year or so later. It was a 1976 Corvette. Uh, this one had a, a little different sense of status for me. You know, it, it said, I love driving fast. But it also said, I'm awkward. I'm really not cool. So I hope that this, you know, fills in the gap. And hey, I used to ride a bike with a banana seat. So come on, give me a break. <laughs> All right, this next one, what does this one say? Married with children. It also says, didn't read consumer reports, because if I did, I'd known that the uh, transmission was going to go out at 79,162 miles. 
The next vehicle is a 05 Explorer that we owned for 14 years. That said, I attended Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University. <laughs> 10 years without a car payment. And then this one, this is the, the vehicle I'm driving right now, and uh, that says Country Boy is connected to his roots. But it actually says Andy found a killer lease deal for under $300 a month. Otherwise, he wouldn't have had it. But all this status, as I said, it's, it's really just based on our own internal dialogue, monologue that we have. Nobody really cares, you know, much less will even remember what kind of vehicle I drive. They'll probably, drive, they'll, they'll probably remember how I drove, fast and furious, but they won't remember what I was driving. You know, money, money provides all of us a status symbol, um, and it, it may look totally different for you. Um, Money provides also a sense of safety. Not just a sense of status, but a sense of safety. And when you're looking at your, your bank account and you've got the, the long list of bills that are prepared to be paid, but then you look at that total and you compare the balance of your checking account, how many times do you start to like sit back and just try to catch your breath? And your face might even flush. And I could be funny, but this could be a very real feeling and sensation that you get, right? Your heart starts to, to palpitate because things just don't add up. And I'm not sure how this is going to work. And I don't like that feeling, so I'm not going to sign on to my bank account anymore, right? That's, that's future me's problem. But if I just had more money, then I wouldn't feel that. If I had more money, I would be more secure and more safe. Money is also a source of control for us. You know, the average American has over $96,000 worth of debt. So if you're married, you might have double of that. I don't know. But between all of our credit cards, our house payments, our car loans, student loans, all of that, $96,000. And, and we, we continue to, to look for more things that we can add. That we use our debit and, and our credit to get more things. And money has just become a way for us to have control by bringing more stuff into our lives, but we, we end up feeling more unstable because we don't have enough money. So if we just had more money, then we would have more choices because I, I know I want this stuff and I want to be able to get this stuff. And if I just had more money, I wouldn't put it on my credit card. I would have more control. I would have more choices. We crave control as human beings. And because we do crave control, when we look at 2 Corinthians here, chapter 8, and, and we're talking about the, the Macedonian church, it's remarkable how that they overcame the world that they were delivered from. This is radical thinking because they overcame the fear of not having enough. They, they overcame and, and gave up the, the pressure, that constant pressure of having to be in control. And they, the way that they did that was through a general, generous outpouring of gratitude for God, for all that God had done in their hearts. Their hearts were, were compelled to give generously. Now, you need to know that at this time, in Jerusalem, there was a church that was having difficulty. And I don't know if they sent messengers or letters, but they let it be known to the churches around that they needed help. Who knows? It's hard to ask for help sometimes, right? But this church in Jerusalem did that. They had a desperate need. The Macedonian church didn't even know who they were in Jerusalem. They hadn't been there. They hadn't walked those streets. They weren't intimately involved with anybody. But in their hearts, they were like, we have to help meet this need. The Macedonians had their own problems, though. 
because at this time they were facing severe, intense persecution. The people that were following Jesus were being thrown into prison and some of them even being killed. And on top of that, they were extremely poor. It's interesting to me, you know, neither Paul or Jesus tried to stop the poor from giving. Paul didn't stop the church of Macedonia, and we know that Jesus didn't stop the the little widow woman when she gave her last two copper coins, even though that was all that she had to live on. If you know somebody who's poor and they want to give, don't ever try to stop them because all people, all of us, need to learn the secrets of generosity. It's crazy, right? I know. Why would, why would we let poor people give? The rich people have all the money. It's their responsibility to take care of the poor. But we're told here that the Macedonians gave of their own choice, beyond even their own means. Why would anybody do that? How countercultural is that? Why would anybody think that way? Well, we're given a glimpse into their perspective when we look at verse 9. He says, For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you could become rich. See, they understood that this text is not talking about a fully funded 401k or an investment portfolio. They didn't expect to inherit money or hit the lottery. They saw Jesus as everything. They knew that he had everything as God incarnate in heaven, the creator of the universe, the creator of the cosmos, of heaven and earth. He had everything. In in our human minds, to want something, if Jesus were to ever want something, would instantly be there, just with a thought. But he gave all of that up and became human and became poor. Pastor Kendrick made an observation that I wanted to share with you about the level of poverty that Jesus lived in. By any, any definition whatsoever, Christ lived below the poverty line. He came into the world, and we all know that his mother wasn't able to get a room in the inn, and so she went to a, a stable. They had to borrow a feeding trough. They had to borrow a manger in order for the, for the Son of God to be born. We're told that as an adult, he had no place to lay his head. He didn't have a home. He had to borrow lodging from his friends. When there were 5,000 people sitting around listening to his teaching and they became hungry, he didn't have food to give them. So he had to borrow a young boy's lunch that he blessed and multiplied miraculously to feed those people. He had a, a message he was sharing on money. He didn't even have a coin to show the people as an example. He had to borrow that coin from somebody who was in the audience When the king of kings was making his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, he had to borrow somebody else's donkey. And when he was in the upper room, that room wasn't something that was his. He had to borrow that as well to meet with his disciples and to tell them, I am the the bread, I am the wine. And upon his crucifixion, when he passed away, when he died, he didn't have a, a tomb. He had to borrow that too. Jesus lived a life of poverty. And he took on the most profound, the deepest level of poverty while he was on the cross. See, he he took on the weight of all of our sin. He cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in that instance, there there was this great exchange that happened because Jesus took on his 
He, he took on all of our broken and sinful state before God. And in return, what we received was his position with the Father. He had borrowed everything throughout his life so that we could own everything that he had. Now, in this life, Christians are not all going to be millionaires. Christianity is not a guarantee that, that life is going to be easy for everybody. We're all going to be financially rich. When Paul says that you will become rich, he's not talking about physical wealth. He's talking about wealth that lasts forever. Jesus gave us access to God. That is our riches. Christianity is not about a list of, of sacrifices and requirements so that we can earn some position with God. Jesus gives us that access. If you think that there's something you can do to better your position with God, then that's a, a false understanding. That's, that's a broken religion. Christianity isn't a list of requirements to earn salvation. It's a life-altering truth that God has given all of us eternal riches. He has made right what is so completely wrong in this world. He revealed the, the brokenness of our humanity. And he removed our sins. He removed the guilt and the shame. And he gave us, he gave us this brand new heart. A new heart that has completely new desires. Desires that are in, in, in line with him. So that when we believe in, in his love for us and we receive this life-changing transformation, we're able to do his will. It's this transformed heart that creates in me now a desire and all of us to have a desire to be faithful to our spouses. It's, it's this changed heart that gives us the desire to be loving to our enemies. And it's from this same changed heart, this transformation brings us to a place of living generously. See, we, we've probably been living with a mentality of scarcity. That's the natural mentality when it comes to our resources. The natural mind wants to operate from a place of scarcity where we have to hold on to and cling to all of our wealth. I have to control all of my resources. I have to be the one in charge. But the gospel breaks us from the, the power of this scarcity thinking. And he provides us with an abundance mentality. What is the difference between scarcity thinking and abundance thinking? Well, if you look at it, scarcity says, what about me? I see him getting his over there. Where am I going to get mine? What about me? Abundance says, God cares for me, so I don't have to be concerned. Scarcity says, I need to hold on to, like I need to hold on to everything that I have. That's the natural in inclination of the heart. But abundance says that God will provide. You see the difference? Scarcity says, I'm afraid that I won't have enough. Abundance says, I'm at peace. God knows what I need. Scarcity says, if I give, then I'm going to have less. That sounds natural. But in the supernatural, abundance says, if I give, I'll be trusted with more. Scarcity says, I am my own source. I'm responsible. Abundance says, God is my source. He's responsible. And scarcity says, Fear controls me, but abundance says love compels me. If you think that God hasn't done anything great for you, if you can't identify the great things that God has done in your life, then I fully understand why you don't feel generous. But could I share with you just for one minute? I know what God has done for me. 
I know that God has made a way for me where there was no other way. I have experienced big and small miracles in my life. I know that he has broken the bondage of alcoholism over my life. It's in my soul. He's given me hope. He's given me life. He's given me victory over the thought that, you know what? Death would be a good solution to the misery that I'm experiencing now. He's given me the joy of a marriage that is restored and a family that was on the brink of destruction. All my life, he has been so good to me. He's been faithful. The Lord has become my strength. He's shown me favor. He's shown me generosity. He's been gracious to me at every turn. When I go through difficult things, God is always there, giving me the the endurance and the strength to continue on. When I tell you that he has been faithful, he has been so good, so good to me. So how could I not share with him everything that he asks? If, If I have anything, how could I withhold it from him? Listen, it's a process. The truth begins with the gospel. We, we know that our lives need to be transformed, but it's a lifelong process. When we say yes to Jesus and we, we surrender control, we surrender it as we understand it. It's, it's a limited understanding. So we, we submit and surrender control of our lives as we understand. And we walk in that understanding for a while until, guess what? He reveals something more to us, and then we are, we're able to Surrender a little bit more. And truthfully, of all the things that we have to give up and give over, probably control of our money, control of our resources is one of the most difficult. It's definitely not the first thing that most of us surrender to God. And I think we have that in common with the Corinthians. If we look back, Paul says, you excel in everything, in faith, speech, knowledge, and in all diligence and in your love for us. Excel also in this act of grace. I'm not saying this as a command. Rather, by means of the diligence of others, I'm testing the genuineness of your love. So the Corinthians were really growing in all kinds of great things. And we've been talking about habits. And it looks like the Corinthians had a few of them figured out. They developed habits one and two. You know, they were, they were spending time with God. They were sharing their faith. And now God, and now Paul was saying to them, but here's another area for you to grow in. This is one that you've been a bit hesitant in. And he says, the evidence of genuine love is in a generous life. He says, you may say that you love. You might even think that you love. Maybe you, maybe you talk a big game about love. But unless you're generous, your love is not uh, spiritually mature. You know, honestly, when we talk about generosity, I think of this church body. I look out, and, and I'm so grateful for all that God is doing in and through this church. You know, in 2019, we, we launched, launched the Legacy Campaign. And the reason we did that was to make space for anybody who's, who's here in the last two years. We made space for you. That was the purpose. We had no idea that, that COVID was around the corner, and uh, we didn't know all the craziness that was on the horizon. All we knew is that we had to say yes. We had committed as a church body to make more room for more people. The reason was it was so much bigger than any of us. It was bigger than personal ambitions. It was just to say yes to what God had called us to because of what he'd been doing in our lives. And if you've been a part of Life Church for any 
length of time, I, I hope that you know that leaders around here go first. When we talk about being generous, our pastors and our staff, our leadership council, we, we love to give. Our hearts are in this place. We give generously but humbly, without agenda. We just want to serve God, and we want to see people come to know Jesus and follow him step by step. And the amazing thing is that God uses all of us, us people. We're just normal, regular people with normal, regular incomes. And he uses our generosity to change people's lives. We create spaces like this because people donate. We create opportunities for people to serve, and people come face-to-face -face with Jesus. But what's happening also throughout that experience is that we're changing. We're being changed. God is at work changing us as we continue to surrender and give over our resources to him. We're becoming a little bit more like those Macedonian Christians and a little bit less like the world that's around us. Learning that what we believe about grace really does change the way we look at everything. And transformation is the key. If you want to live a life with a heart that's fully alive, we have to be transformed. And it's not about behavior modification. It's about a completely renewed heart. There are three principles about generosity that I wanted to introduce you to. One of them is called the first principle, the priority of giving. Priority giving says that I'm going to give of my resources back to God first. Now, that's very difficult to do because when we get a paycheck, the government has already taken their part out, right? So right after that, though, in that, in that line item budget that I know all of us have, some of us do, right there, first thing, give to God. Give to God's work. We predetermine, and then all of our needs after that come afterwards. I think most of us probably say, well, no, the first thing is, here's my mortgage, here's my car payment, groceries, utilities, and then this is what I have left to decide, am I going to eat out? Am I going to give to God? Right? So from here, I'm going to give. But to be real with you, God has to be first. He's God. God can't be in any other place. He is the preeminent God. We can't see him in second or third and surely not last on the list. So God will be real in our lives, but I have a, a challenge for you. If he's not first, even in the giving component of your life, maybe you feel like he's first in everything else, but in generosity, if he's not first, there's room to grow and, and room to, to improve because he will be as real in your life to the, to the degree that, that he is first in your life. And priority teaching, priority giving teaches us to fully trust him. You know, when we give to God last, then we know that all of our, all of our needs have been taken care of. So that's more like a charitable contribution, but it's not trust. When we start with God, then we're trusting him. The second principle that we want to look at is percentage giving. Percentage giving says that I give proportionally. You see, generosity is kind of a moving target, right? A millionaire doesn't necessarily look generous if they donate $100. It probably didn't impact them. But if you're trying to live life uh, with a part-time job making minimum wage, $100 is very generous. It might be the whole world to you. The Old Testament 
introduced introduced this concept, and it's called tithing. Uh, The tithe is to give 10% of our resources back to the work of God. Now, in the New Testament, it doesn't really talk about tithing. Uh, So take from that what you will. But I would challenge you that I doubt very seriously that the New Testament church would expect to give less than the Old Testament version of generosity. When Jesus was here, he was approached by a rich man who came up to him. And he says, as he was sitting, as he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him, knelt down before him, and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus asked him. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not, be, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. He said to him, teacher, I have kept all these from my youth. And looking at him, Jesus loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. But he was dismayed by this demand, and he went away grieving because he had so many possessions. See, Jesus challenged the rich young ruler to sell everything that he had and to give it away to the poor, but that wasn't Jesus' command for everybody who followed him. It was just that Jesus loved him so much, and he he wanted to free this young man's heart up from, from the entrapment of trusting in things. You know, I, I really believe in the tithe. I think that the tithe is a, a great place to start. But I want to tell you that God is not looking for your 10% of your income. He's looking for 100% of your, your heart. You know, it's, it's that that he's after. He wants all of us. He wants us to trust him with, with our whole heart. And, you know, trusting him with that first portion of our resources, it is evidence that, that we can trust him with everything. So start there. And here's the third principle, progressive giving. Progressive giving says that I expand my, my giving over time, just as God has called us to grow in faith, to grow in love, to grow in obedience, to grow in our generosity. So we're not going to simply land with priority giving. We're not going to land with percentage giving, but also progressive giving. You know, opportunities come all the time where we see people in need. We understand about relief efforts that happen, and we want to give to those things. We see that people are needing food or needing clothing. The offerings that we can give above and beyond the tithe are this progressive giving component of generosity. This is how we we set up a guardrail to protect us from from greed, to firmly believe the truth that, that God is my source. It's not my job. It's not my efforts. It's not money. How can we experience his provision and peace and life? Well, here's a habit that will help us. The habit of resources. To structure our life around priority, percentage, and progressive giving. God's purpose in calling us into generosity, really it goes so far beyond buildings or, or building the church. Learning to be generous teaches our hearts that God's not a taker. So many of us, I think, we we think that this God that we trust is someone who is going to take everything from us. He He wants to take away my fun. He wants to take away my privilege and take away my freedom. But the truth is that as we trust Him with our resources, 
we discover that God is absolutely, perfectly, and completely a giver. He gives to us freely all that we have need of. He holds nothing back from us, and he owns everything. All that he has is ours. And he calls us to live generously, live generous lives, so that through our generosity, we're actually becoming more like him. When I trust him, when I let go, then he transforms my heart. And in becoming more like him, I can discover this fullness of joy that's been so elusive. For somebody here today, you're probably thinking, maybe many of you, like, this is crazy. Why would you even talk about money in the first place? But then none of this makes sense, this generosity. You might be skeptical, and, and I can understand that. It's very natural feelings to have. I think we've all felt them before. But at the same time, God is, is calling every one of us, calling us higher, calling us to a, a higher way of living. You know, if we look back at the story of the rich young ruler, I don't want you to miss this part. Jesus, what was his, what was, and this is overlooked a lot of times. Look at, looking at him, Jesus loved him. See, we wonder, like, was Jesus disappointed? Was he angry? But before this young man obeyed or disobeyed, before he even had the opportunity to trust, Jesus already loved him. And you need to know that that kind of love transcends reason and, and, and it never wavers. It's never taken back. It's a constant. A critical question for you to answer for yourself is what is God's posture towards me? How does Jesus look at me? And based on this, I can tell you that the truth is that God's posture towards you is that he loves you. And when you know that, it changes everything. Because then, anything that he asks you to do, you know it's for his glory, but it's also for your good. All of his commands, all of them, are for your benefit and for your blessing. In the last two weeks, we've covered some difficult topics. Sex and money, two of the most difficult things to talk about in church. But these are guardrail habits, and they cause us to have to consider God's thinking as opposed to my way of thinking. And I want to invite you to just take a second. What is it that God has in mind for you? I want to invite you to even ask the Holy Spirit to just communicate to you personally. Have you been living a life of scarcity? Are you clinging to control? Are you afraid of your resources or lack thereof? You don't have to live that way. You don't have to live that way anymore because the Bible says that the one who provides seed to the sower and bread for food will also provide and multiply your seed and increase your harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for all generosity, which produces thanksgiving to God through us. Nothing, nothing will probably test your heart like surrendering control of your money. So what is your next step in trusting God? Is it priority giving or percentage giving, progressive giving? What is your next step? Because all of us have a, a next step to take. And I want to encourage you, as you're considering this, give in a way that would force your heart to fully rely on God as your provider. How much would you have to give to detach your heart from trusting the things that you have and to place your heart fully in God's hands?
to trust him. Trust him and let him speak to you today. Maybe you're here and you'd say, look, I've been tithing. I tithe and you know what, it was a stretch at first, but God was faithful and um, it's easy now. I came through it, it's not a challenge at all. And I'm kind of on autopilot. Well, if that's the case and you're still following Jesus, can I just encourage you that uh, none of us get to get to autopilot. There's always a challenge. And the challenge is not to keep us miserable. The challenge is to keep us growing. The challenge is to keep us growing more like him. He's leading us to that next step. He's always challenging me to that next level. So how's he calling you? How's he calling you to be able to, to trust him? Let's pray. God, I thank you for what I see happening in this place. I know that we're praying for lives to be transformed, hearts to be transformed. I know that you're challenging us. Thank you, God, for so many people who have said yes and have begun living generously. God, thank you for using all that we have to change people's hearts and lives, to give opportunities for people to be able to discover you, to, to discover life and fullness. God, thank you for loving us through this, uh, this journey of life, that while your commands initially may feel difficult, your patience and your understanding, your compassion as we get there, God, thank you for just walking alongside us. God, I want to pray that you would just teach us that the wealth that we have, is all, it's all because of you. And ultimately, the cross is our greatest wealth, providing us that connection with you, Lord. Let us be rich in relationship with you, Father God. You are everything. You're everything that we need. God, so we step out, we open our hands, we say, please use us. God, and I know that as we open our hands, Lord, you're going to open up our lives. Make us new in you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all for being here. As the dream team makes their way to the back, they all have their tasks to do. If you haven't, if you've been here for a little bit and you haven't found a place to plug in and you want to serve, make sure you stop out at our Next Steps table. Thank you for being here. Please make sure that you come back for next week's uh, we have uh, the seventh in this series, and we're still continuing to discover how we can live healthy lives by putting together great habits. So bless you and have a great week.